Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Coming up on StarTalk. Cosmic Queries. We feature my conversation with Dr. Peter Hotez. He's a virologist and a pediatrician. And we talk about the rise in the anti-science movement and what impact that has had on his work as a medical doctor. He's also an expert on the movement of tropical viruses into regions where they were not previously invited, all thanks to climate change. That and more coming up on Star Talk. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. My co-host for this episode, Paul Mercurio. Paul, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Great to see you again, buddy. Good to have you back. I, and, I, you know, every time I take another look at your resume, it's like you're an Emmy Award winner and Peabody Award winning comedian. Yes, yes I am. Yes, I, I mean, am. this is good stuff. And <laughs> yes. the Peabody, that's the one you, you really want there. I mean, everybody's the, got an Emmy, but a Peabody. That's the one where people go, oh, you read a book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you still work and perform regularly with Stephen Colbert the on Late The Late show? show? Yeah, we go back to The Daily Show together. I was one of the original writers and performers on The Daily Show back Really in the day. good to hear yeah. that. And yeah. uh, every occasionally when I'm on Stephen Colbert, I bump into you and it's always good to see you. Yeah, it's great. And you always... It, Stephen loves having you on. Oh. <laughs> he know I'm serious because in reversal, like it'll be like, who's the guest? And sometimes I'll be like, uh, and I was like, Neil, oh, great. Because you never shut up, so he doesn't have to do anything. But <laughs> like, it is, perfect. I make his job easier. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, it's great to have you on. Yeah. <laughs> so today is a very important topic, something that's centerpiece to so much of what I do and what I care about. It's anti-science in the medical community. And that is anti-science as expressed by the public about the medical community, but also forgotten diseases with Peter Hotez. Peter Hotez, welcome to Star Talk. Uh, thank you, Neil. I'm a huge fan and of both of you, and, uh, and I'm thrilled to be here. It's uh, very exciting for me. Excellent. And, and, so, and it impressed the heck out of all my kids. So, okay. Yeah, okay. So that was the most important thing. It's, they're, they're, they're the toughest crowd of all. Anything on the, the domestic front. The kids are the toughest to impress. If we can boost the domestic front, we're all in on that. So you're a pediatrician uh, and you're dean the, of the National School of Tropical Medicine. That's actually a thing. That's a place at Baylor College a professor of pediatrics and molecular biology at Baylor, and you're a fellow in disease and poverty. Gosh, yeah. the James Baker Institute for Public Policy. Peter, like, you need to, uh, Peter, you need to work harder. No, no. Right, right. I, I don't know what's going on with you. But, if uh, I were religious, I'd have to say, God puts you on this earth to do good, okay? But I'm not religious, so I don't know how to say that then. <laughs> um, you're author of several books. Forgotten People, Forgotten Diseases, The Neglected Tropical Diseases, 
and their impact on global health and environment. That was back in 2008. Yeah, my kids used to call it Dad's Forgotten Book on Forgotten People. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But but it's gone into the third edition, so I I, I think I've I've proved them somewhat wrong. Very good, very good. And another one, the deadly rise of anti-science, a scientist warning. Oof. What year did that come out? Um, Well, you know, I'd written this book, Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism, in 2018. And this new one, Rachel is your daughter. Rachel's your daughter. Yeah, Uh and then the new one is called The Deadly Rise of Anti-Science. It talks about how the anti-vaccine movement has transitioned over to more of a political enterprise. And so I want to describe that change. Excellent. And so so that's out already, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Okay, so, so, okay, we'll look for that then. Thank you. And you're, you were interviewed persistently uh, as COVID-19 was, COVID was on the rise and trying to educate and try to disassemble the misinformation that was sweeping the world. And especially misinformation, not only regarding the, the virus, but the vaccines to prevent it. So could you just tell me, let's, let's back up. Tell me about forgotten diseases and why that matters. If they're forgotten and no one thinks about them, or they're yeah, forgotten, they're still out there. We just forgot to think about them. Is that so, it? So, you know, most of my, you know, people know me for COVID and we've made two uh, COVID vaccine technologies, reached 100 million people in India and Indonesia. But um, our, our OG vaccines are vaccines for parasitic infections. And, and that's been my first passion is making vaccines for tropical parasitic infections affecting the world's poorest people on the African continent. Latin America, uh, uh, and Southeast Asia. So Forgotten People, Forgotten Diseases describes that whole ecosystem of what I call the most important diseases you've never heard of. They're the uh, diseases such as human hookworm infection and schistosomiasis and Chagas disease, lymphatic filariasis and river blindness. They're incredibly common. It's just that they only occur among people who live in extreme poverty. So we've been, one of the things we do here in the Texas Medical Center is to find a way to make innovations for the world's poorest people that the pharma companies would not ordinarily be interested. So if these diseases were hitting Europe and the United States, uh, there'd be a trillion dollars invested in it. Well, that, that's, that's what I would often think. But one of the things that we're finding now, and one of the reasons we created our National School of Tropical Medicine here in the Texas Medical Center, was because of a lot of 21st century forces like global warming, climate change, urbanization, remaining poverty, we're actually now starting to see some of those same diseases pop up here in Texas and the Gulf Coast, and as well as in Southern Europe. And, and what's interesting, Neil, is that's one of the hardest advocacy jobs I've ever had, is getting people to understand that these tropical diseases are now arising here on the Gulf Coast, and, and not because necessarily of immigration or or across the southern border, as a lot of people want to say, but in fact, because of climate change and because of uh, poverty and urbanization. And and the way I illustrate that is we have 10% of the dogs here in Texas with Chagas disease. And and it's not because the dogs are slipping across the border from El Salvador, right? That we've, we've got transmission of these diseases here. And we're finding Chagas disease transmission here in the United States, as well as Akorm and some of the others. But it's been a it's get it's very tough to get people to understand that that we have an, a vulnerability here. We need some kind of a we need some kind of a reality show, kind of like the voice for these obscure diseases here in America, so that then people become aware of them through like watching television or something like that. You know. Oh yeah, tactical measures there. <laughs> so at the risk of stating the obvious here, what you're saying is as a climate warms changes and includes warming trends at latitudes that previously did not experience such warming, the diseases that previously had been constrained to the tropics are now spilling into other latitudes on Earth, presumably North and South. And so this is a spread that has been empowered by climate change. That's ex- well, climate change, but one of the things that I've found in, in my writings and, and is that it's not only not only climate change, it's climate change is working in concert with other social determinants, such as urbanization. That's a big one, right? Because Aedes aegypti mosquitoes that transmit yellow fever or Zika virus infection or dengue, 
live in the discarded tires that are in urban neighborhoods. So if you go into poor neighborhoods in and around Houston, where you see all the tire dumping, that's actually a risk factor um, together with... with well, wait, I, I have to interject. It's not that the mosquitoes like rubber. <laughs> no, it's a very fa- it's a fascinating fact. Uh, I'll, I'll explain. Uh, uh, so, Paul, I don't know if you knew, the shape of a discarded tire is ideal to trap water inside of it no matter how you orient the tire. Right. So if if so there's water inside just sip pooling there. If you pick up the tire and roll it, the water just stays in there. If you tip it sideways, it curls around the edge and pulls at the bottom. So you actually have to like shake it and and like dehydrate it. And so 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 what's weird, Peter, is that this could be a major vector for mosquitoes, just discarded tires. That's a weird, crazy fact about so, our so, so that little vignette you just gave is exactly what I said to our mayor of Houston at the time, Mayor Sylvester Turner, extraordinary guy, uh, Harvard, Harvard Law graduate, and um, I convinced him that we had to get rid of all the tire dumping in the low-income neighborhoods in Houston. And and so while South Texas had Zika virus transmission in 2016, we did not have that in Houston. Now, whether it was in spite of what we did or because of it, uh, we'll never know. I'll take credit for it anyway. <laughs> but, but aren't you just transferring the problem somewhere else and they get rid of the tires? See, like when I steal cars and take the tires, I, I was always, wondering about, I was going to ask you about I that. I always cut the tires with a chainsaw and open them up because I'm concerned about all of these viruses. And <laughs> I, that's, that's so 20th century. I thought catalytic converters were like the new thing. <laughs> yeah, oh, they are. Thank you. Very, well, I actually have some in the trunk of my car. I can talk to you after the show about that. But, Not that I even uh, know what a catalytic converter looks like, but that's what I've heard. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. I'm Alikan Hemraj, and I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. So, so tell me now about the rise of. I've known about anti science outside of medicine because it's not so much anti science, but. Uh, pseudoscience that permeates. But if if a person is susceptible to pseudoscience, 
it seems to me they'd be susceptible to anti-science. Because pseudoscience arrays of thinking that conflict with mainstream scientific thoughts and understandings of the world. So where did you first see your medical anti-science? Well, Neil, first of all, you've been a role model over the years for how you combat and debunk a lot of the pseudoscience. So I often follow your cues. And 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 you were actually an inspiration for me to get involved in this, um, for which I have to pay you back somehow. Well, no, no, just pay it forward. I've become public enemy number one with Andrew. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, that, that. So yeah, it comes with the territory. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, what happened was, you know, I have the original assertion against vaccines uh, rose in the late 1990s with false claims that vaccines cause autism. And so I have a, four adult kids, including Rachel, has autism and intellectual disabilities and, and wrote the book, Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism, which Back in 2018. was a deep dive, deep dive explaining why there's no link between vaccines and autism, the science behind it, also what autism is, how it begins in early fetal brain development through the action of autism genes. We did all exome genomic sequencing, and Rachel, my fan and I, and, and laid it all out there. And it was a very powerful book, I think, and, and, and it helped a lot of people, but it also wound up making me public enemy number one or two with anti-vaccine groups. Robert F. Kennedy, our friend Robert F. Kennedy Jr. <laughs> publicly labeled me the OG villain, and I'm so old and square, I had to look up what that means. It what OG means, yeah. The, the original, original gangster, gangster villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so thanks for inviting the OG villain. And But it was meaningful. You know, I did find it meaningful, and now I realize if you're in the va- in, in, in trying to make vaccines for hookworm vaccines and new COVID vaccines like we're doing, this is also part of it now, countering the anti-vaccine activists. And the problem was it took another level. I know it actually started before the COVID pandemic, but it really accelerated, which became a political enterprise linked to political extremism on the far right. And and you started to see, and this is where it gets really tough because as you know, Neil, all of our training as scientists says we don't really like to talk about Republicans and Democrats and liberals or conservatives or red states or blue states, but what do you do when um, the people refusing vaccines overwhelmingly are in red states? And the study showed from Charles Gabba and others that the redder the county, the lower the immunization rate and higher the death rate, so much so that David Leonhardt of the New York Times just called it red COVID. And, and, wow. and, it was, wow. and it's a killing force. So 40,000 Texans in my state of Texans died because they refused a COVID vaccine during the Delta and BA1 wave after vaccines were widely available and 200,000 Americans overall. And and that's why we have to talk about it because anti-science is no longer just kind of this theoretical thing. It's actually a killing force. But we can separate the variables, as we say in mathematics. The the My understanding was, and we explore this in the film, Shot in the Arm. This is uh, written and directed by... Um, Scott Hamilton Kennedy is a documentarian. You were prominently interviewed in that film. I, I served as a as script consultant because there's a lot of science getting communicated, and I advised on that. And I, then I got like promoted to executive producer. Last time I agreed to that because <laughs> that was the whole thing. <laughs> but anyhow, in that we explored the fact that there are two separate variables here. One of them is: Are you anti-science? because you hate big pharma or whatever. And another one is, you can't make me get a vaccine because I'm American and I'm free and freedom. And so one came from the right, from the left, the other came from the right, and they met on the other side of the fence because they both had the same objective. So are you, I presume you've seen both of these camps, right? And they, they require different solutions. Yeah, you know, and, and it's changed over time. You know, we used to say the anti-vaccine movement was a product of the, as you rightly point out, the extreme left and the stream, extreme right. The, and the extreme right, it was health freedom, medical freedom, you can't tell me what to do. On the extreme left, it was, you know, a peace, love, granola. We have to be, you know, careful what we're putting into our kids. And, and, and eat your herbs and that'll cure your... And the stuff on the left has somewhat dissipated. Not entirely, because you still see a lot of people peddling nutritional supplements, you know, linked to the anti-vaccine movement. But it's mostly the the killing force, the one that killed 200,000 Americans, overwhelmingly is a product now of the far right. So you've got, and it's tough to talk about, you've got members of the House Freedom Caucus, you know, calling people like me medical brown shirts. That's the term they use. So I'm using Nazi analogies, pretty horrible stuff. And and you've got, you know, two U.S. senators, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, 
holding vaccine injury roundtables and Senator Rand Paul targeting science and scientists. You had the CPAC Conference of Conservatives. First, they're going to vaccinate you, then they're going to take away your guns and your Bibles. And as ridiculous as that sounds to us, people accepted it in my state of, of, of Texas. And then the real tough one was Fox News amplifying it every night. And this was documented by two groups, Media Matters uh, and, and a research group out of uh, Switzerland. You know, the nighttime Fox News anchors every night falsely discredited the effectiveness and safety of vaccines. They filled their broadcast with anti-vaccine content. And so what happened was if you were going down that rabbit hole, watching Fox News every night and everything else, you started to believe that the vaccines either didn't work or weren't safe and you didn't get vaccinated. And and so many Americans paid for that with their lives. And it's not, you know, Neil, it's not that we really care, right, about people's political views. That's your right as an American, I shouldn't speak for you, but I'm guessing you probably feel... No, yeah, of course, but, of course. But, oh, yeah. but, but how do you uncouple the anti-science from it? I mean, I don't care about your political views. I mean, you know, whatever they are, that's your right. But, but how do you say, don't buy into this one because it's going to kill you? And but what about, what about as we showed some footage in this film, a shot in the arm, uh, in it, we also, we had footage of anti-mask movements back in the 1918 pandemic, the flu pandemic. So it seems like being anti-mask was not just a modern idea or modern concept. So I think that's right. I think this, if you look back in U.S. Hist American history, this concept of health freedom goes back to the time of Benjamin Rush, you know, the, the, the founder of so many medical societies it, it, in Philadelphia. And, and, you, and you mentioned in your book, Doctor, that he actually... It, there's some evidence that he tried to have something written into the Constitution about That's this. That's right. That's yeah. right. And it goes back to the whole botanical movement. Um, Paul just showing off that he read your whole book. He's I just, just read just... the one page and I happened to get lucky. <laughs> I got well, lucky. Well, I'm, and... well, I, well, I'm grateful as someone who's been accused of writing forgotten books by his oh, Anyone who comes up to me says I read your book, they have my, they have my, they have my attention. Waiting for the cue to mention that one content on the one page. <laughs> you're such a. Oh my God! I cannot believe so, that I work with so, you. So right. yes, I think that that's. So this goes back. So there is that thread throughout history. I think the difference is the amplifying of effect of social media, the amplifying or X or whatever you want to call it, and, and the amplifying effects on Fox News, that really revved it up. And so, and people were monetizing disinformation. And I think that that's what the game but is. It, isn't it in a way a rigged game for you, for us who are trying to fight this anti-science cause? Because it's rigged in the sense that the only thing you can prove to make your point is science. And they go, well, we don't believe in science, so you can't use that one, right? <laughs> right think well, about it, right? I wish like it were you, that simple because- It's a tautological argument in debating, right? It's like, there's no well, Santa Claus. But, but I know there's even, no Santa Claus. But it's even more clever in sort of a nefarious way than that because what they'll do is they will bring in their own experts, right? these contrarian experts. And-, and and, and many of them are at are at serious medical schools, right? Peter, Peter, these are your people. Yeah, exactly. These are your fellow MDs who've been to medical school. They have patients who call them doctor. And so is it a matter of cleaning up your own house here? Just to put some blame back on you? It's a good question because, you know, they are professors. And it's serious places like Stanford and UCSF and, and Hopkins and... And, and, you know, I often ask my colleagues, why, why don't we do anything to rein this in? And they say, well, you have academic freedom. I said, that's true, but you also have something called professionalism and ethics too. And if it's killing Americans, at what point do you say we shouldn't be doing this? And well, you say that in your book too. See, I read more than one page. <laughs> that in history shows that when academics and scientists tried to stay objective in the face of fascism and so forth, it was too late once they started to speak up, right? But to to answer, to, to Neil's point, it, these are your people. I mean, politics has, knows no bounds, right? And sometimes politics and, and being with a clique that believes in everything you believe in is more important than anything that's logical. And you talk about in the book that you need a clearinghouse for uh, people to defend or an organization to defend scientists uh, in these times where you're under attack. And my suggestion would be to get all the ex-jocks in high school to defend the scientists going
going forward. Okay. <laughs> when the nerds got beat up in high school, the jocks would defend some yeah, of the jocks I mean, would I defend mean, them. Is, I think that- this is so. This is what we're seeing now play out in the House COVID subcommittee hearings. You know, after I've come out and said, "Look, two hundred thousand Americans needlessly died because of this disinformation war that you waged." Now there's this revisionist history going on. They want to say, no, no, it was the vaccines that actually killed Americans. Absolute nonsense. Or they want to say it was the scientists who invented the virus. It's, and it's this rewriting of, of history and, and not only targeting the science, but, um, but, but targeting the, the, the scientists as well. And, and it's so damaging for the, for the country. Um, because, and I think it jeopardizes all of our future scientific infrastructure. So, Peter, before we go to our our Q and our questions, um, and and Paul, you got all the questions lined up. I do. Yes, you do. Okay, mm-hmm. thanks for being on on the ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, my rebuttal to the pedigreed person on a YouTube saying that everybody else is wrong is to say uh, rebuttal. That's not the right word. My response is if a person opens up a YouTube channel, no matter what their pedigree is, and they say, the establishment wants you to think this, but they're all wrong. I have the truth, and I'm on your side. There is no greater foundation for suspicion than that, because that is irresistible clickbait, and it means someone is not... And then... What people have been doing is giving mainstream, even the very concept of mainstream has been thrown into question by those who are anti-science, saying, well, the mainstream, they all have monothink, and they, they don't know the real, this is the real cure for that, yeah, not ab- what mainstream absolutely. In fact, my, rule of th- my similar rule of thumb is when someone has to tell you they're a critical thinker, Head for the hills. Yeah, exactly. They're in for anything but. And, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and what's interesting is, um, you know, what they'll do, again, very clever in a nefarious sort of way, is they'll say, well, we're just asking questions. Who is this Hotez guy who's being so dogmatic? You know, that's not science. We're just asking questions. So you have to really be on your game and be very, you well, know, it, really. And the, yeah, plus, yeah, I, plus it, I tell them someone with a YouTube channel will be more charismatic than the statistical results of multiple peer-reviewed studies that has no face, okay? Yeah, and, and, and if they have no accountability, to be honest, then, you know, that that's another handicap. Yeah. If you can't condense a 50-page thoughtful analysis to uh, 180 characters on Twitter, no one's going to read it. That's all, That's a problem, right? So it's like, but like, also, but just to be religion, clear, it used to be 140 characters. Now it's 280. 280. You, there you go. <laughs> just don't don't reveal how unplugged in you are. Okay, in front of my audience. Exactly. Okay, it's called X, by the way, Paul. X. Not Twitter. <laughs> and I heard there's this thing called Google that everybody's really excited about. So, so Paul, let's get to the questions. Sure. Okay. Um, we are jump right jump in. in. These are from our fan base, and uh, this is here we go. This we is, love them because they're all like scientifically literate and um, they're thoughtful. So give, give them to me. Good afternoon, gentlemen. My name is Frank Lewis from Daytona Beach, Florida. What is the strangest conspiracy theories you've come across? Boy, uh, there's so many good ones to pick from. Uh, <laughs> I'll, 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 give, I'll give you a couple of my favorite. My absolute favorite one is claims that I'm, I'm not a real person, that I'm actually... Um, Jack Black being uh, being paid by the CIA to, in a disguise. To, 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 Jack Black. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Jack Black's a good looking guy. I'm I, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's, that's that's one of my favorite. And then you know the the best is when you know they say the vaccines are magnetizing them, and you know he had one individual you know testify in front of the high legislature, sticking bobby pins and keys on her forehead, and then claiming that they're sticking to her because she was magnetized by the vaccines. And, of course, total theater of the absurd, they fell right off uh, uh, again. So, so um, but, uh, you know, the, the, what's interesting is the more outrageous the assertion, the more viral it seems to go. Okay, so, so Peter, because I got to deal with people who think Earth is flat. That's a whole other thing. And, but at least they don't... Well, I was going to say... Well, they're not going to kill anyone. Saying well, you're, except right. there was a guy who put himself in his own a rocket of his own design to go up high enough to show that Earth was flat. 
and the rocket misfired, and he died. Right. Okay. And by rocket, he means a washing machine <laughs> with wings. That's what he means. <laughs> it was, so there's at least one fatality from that movement, but okay. So uh, go on, Paul. Give me another. Right. Uh, Matt from L.A., greetings uh, all. Uh, of course, it's uh, super important to fight anti-science efforts, but there must also be some room within science for ideas that come from non-scientists. Currently, any non-credited theorist is treated as a crank, no matter how good the idea. Is there some way to create a peer-reviewed pipeline for ideas to come in from other disciplines? Ooh. Or from non-experts. Well, we do have, you know, Neil, you've been a good promoter of this. We do have citizen science, right? We do have, there, there I think, you know, scientists are all in in terms of the, the public engagement. I, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think we... We do solicit input, um, but but you know when you have people that are weaponizing the science communication, you see that they have an agenda. That's that's something very different. Yeah, I, I would add that when people, it's one thing for people to say, "I saw something in this map of the Martian surface that's on a NASA website that no one has talked about." You know, this is cr- crowdsourcing the analysis of, of information, and that can have value. But when someone says, I think Einstein is wrong, that E equals actually uh, actually equals MC cubed instead of MC squared. Um, you know, I spent seven years in graduate school studying all the work that has come before me to know what works and what doesn't and why. And so to, so to spend a couple hours on YouTube and come up with an idea without the homework behind that it becomes frustrating to we in the professional community because you didn't do your homework, all right? And you end up in that valley, it's what's it called, where you, you um, the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, knowing enough to think you're right, but knowing not enough to know that you're wrong, okay? <laughs> oh, then I, re- I really have that. I have that in space. Yeah, and and you and you see this a lot with the some of the lead anti-vaccine activists who um, really don't understand the science, and you even see it. I see it a lot now with some of the contrarian intellectuals or pseudo intellectuals who even have medical degrees. If you notice, they're not they don't have any expertise in infectious diseases, virology, or vaccine. They usually come from other fields, such as other fields within the medical world. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, sur- they're surgeons or they're radiologists or they're, you know, something else, and then they, they overreach. Right, but then their argument will be, you all have groupthink, and I'm coming from the outside, so I have a fresh view. That's very tempting as clickbait for someone. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, these are, these are persistent challenges here that, uh, yeah, we're still at it. Yeah, and then when you start sounding too dogmatic, They've even come up with a new term, Neil. Maybe you've heard this as well. They call it, they say I'm practicing scientism. Scientism. It's kind right. of like a fusion of religion and science. And it's right. all BS, but but again, it it's it superficially it sounds plausible. But it's hard to push back on the religion front, right? I mean, like, because then when people start pulling their religious beliefs in, that's a kind of a sacred uh sort of place to be. And it puts the people on the right side of this argument in a tougher position. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses. Right, Christian scientists, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe very much in modern medicine, which is ironic because they're constantly getting broken noses by having doors slammed in their face. <laughs> stop, stop. But, right, but on if the anybody other needs hand, modern medicine, they the, do. But those who are the, the ones though that are causing the damage are those that are you know, if you look, they're selling their Substack, they're selling their nutritional supplements. Right. They have a, they have a pretty lucrative business going, or. It's all about political control. Yeah, and that was all helped by uh, Senator, uh, by Ron Paul's sort of passing of that legislation, as you point out in the book, that opened up that whole idea of supplements. And and Neil, if you read the book, you would know that. But anyway, (laughs) uh, Cicero Artifon, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, from Toronto, Canada. How How can society establish rules informed by scientific evidence while respecting freedom of speech and avoiding endorsing scientifically debunked ideas. Ooh. Yeah, I think I think he that's probably the single most important question and I I spend a lot of time in the book giving a, one of the longest 
I don't know the answer to your question answers in, <laughs> in, in, in modern history is how do you do that balance? I think is is really one of the challenges. I mean, you know, what do you, how do you regulate Fox News not to weaponize health and science communication? How do you control Elon Musk not inviting all of the all of the terrible uh, people who are causing causing health disinformation damage. Um, Peter, you and I might be approximately the same age, so we would remember the evening news, go back many, many decades, the 60s and 70s, the evening local news at the end would have a special carve-out where the, the editors or the producers would give an opinion on some topic of the day. And it would be specially carved out. Coming up, we will have an opinion. Okay, and then that, that there'll be a commercial break. We come. We now offer an opinion, and for two minutes they would endorse a candidate or they would give an opinion on something. Now, of course, you don't see that firewall between the delivery of news and the delivery of opinion. What I thought to myself: one way to shore that up in Fox News or other uh, other um, platforms that similarly blend their opinion with with reported news, MSNBC does that as well is if they just had a flashing thing at the top. News, and then opinion, okay? <laughs> so at any given instant, you would know whether they were just giving opinion well, about I would, the news. I would actually try to do that when I was on, back when I was in the cable news channels a lot during the pandemic, I would say, okay, here's what we know, and here's my opinion. Uh, and, and, I, and people liked that. I mean, people, you know, really appreciated that, I thought. Um, but that's okay, so the, more of that on all fronts would work. That's yes. the exception. But on the other hand, doing it that way apparently is not good for TV ratings or for followers on, on Twitter. So You're right. And you would think you would know that, Jack Black. You would think you would know <laughs> that given that you're in the entertainment business, that Jack Black would I know. I should have that. gotten Best Supporting uh, Actor on, it, on for Orange County. I'm just exactly. I mean, No, no, he should have gotten Best Supporting uh, Actor. I, I thought just you saying, were brilliant. When I, when I found out that I was going to co-host the show, the first thing I said to my wife is, I'm going to be on with the guy from Jumanji. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out I was right. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Your Space Coast vacation is preparing for liftoff. Start counting down now. 10, 9, 8, 7. It's time for a beach vacay that feels like heaven. 6, 5, 4. Come explore Melbourne and the beaches. 3, 2, 1. It's time for some rocket-filled fun. Count down to your best beach vacation ever on Florida's Space Coast. Launch your planning now at visitspacecoast.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Keep going. Right, another one. Here we go. Uh, this is Paula Patsova uh, from Slovakia. My family embraces conspiracy theories, including concerns about 5G and microchips and vaccines. Uh, my mom even got anxious during my recent COVID vaccine. Uh, as an aspiring scientist, it saddens and frustrates me. How can I discuss vaccines uh, or any uh, scientific topic with them without causing immediate argument? Yeah, Peter, what do you do with Thanksgiving dinner when relatives come over? <laughs> well, What's your tactic? <laughs> well, it's, it's gotten harder. Oh, the right? bottle of wine. Well, Bottle of wine. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it's it's gotten more difficult. You know, in the past, you know, you could talk to a parent 
you know, who was reluctant about vaccinating their kid and, and say, look, here's what measles does. Here's what pertussis does. This is why it's a leading killer of children globally. And here's how the vaccines work. And nine times out of 10, they would agree to vaccinate their child. Now it's far more difficult because they've tied their political allegiance or their identity to not getting a vaccine. And so how do you, it's not enough simply to provide accurate information. You have to do that, of course, but it's not sufficient. So it means trying to really get them to communicate values to them, try to, and first of all, the first thing I also, also say is remember, these individuals are victims. They are victims of a predatory, well-organized, well-financed disinformation campaign that's politically and financially motivated. And, and, and that helps too, that, because otherwise you can get so frustrated and angry and remember. So you have to look upon them oftentimes with, with sympathy. You know, I, one of the analogies that I use, I, not long ago, I gave um, medical grand rounds at University of Texas Tyler, which is a very conservative area of East Texas, where a lot of, um, a lot of anti-vaccine sentiments and, you know, everyone you talk to when I was there has lost a loved one because they refused the COVID vaccine. And these were, you know, these are extraordinary people. I, though two weeks later, I gave grand rounds at Stanford Medical School. And I said, look, if I had card broken down because I had a flat tire and you gave me the choice of my car breaking down to Palo Alto, California or Tyler, Texas, I'd pick Tyler every time because in Tyler, everybody be fighting over who's going to help you change your tire. Right. I mean, see, these are extraordinary people who are are being victimized or targeted by these predators. Isn't there a subspecies of rose called the Tyler rose? Am I remembering this correctly? Somewhere in Texas, there's a tight, a small version of a rose. I think it was in Tyler, Texas. Well, you spent time in Texas, Neil. I did. Yeah, I met my wife in Texas. Yeah, yeah. It, isn't there something d deeper that has to be addressed? Which is, it just feels to me like whether it's the issue of guns or abortion or vaccines or whatever. Something happened that maybe was always there in our society where people just needed to find something to band together with other like minds, regardless of the logic of what they believe or why they believe it. And if These you are tribal forces. If you These don't are tribal forces. And if you don't address that, none of this will ever really yeah. go away. It'll be, okay, today, today we're talking about science, but then, you know, in, 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 ten, in 10 months, we'll be talking about some other sort of of manipulation of facts and so forth just to continue to satiate those feelings. So, yeah, and so how the way, do you get the way to I that? Do it, and maybe this is not right, but rather than do that, which is far more daunting, I would basically I say, look, you know, if you want to believe your QAnon theories and all this other kind of craziness, again, your business, but here's, but don't adopt this one. Somehow we've got to uncouple science because yeah. of the immediate health impact and the urgency right. for so you say I'm, it's not, sure, I'm yeah. not sure that's necessarily the right approach. Maybe yours makes makes more sense. Well, it sounds like you're taking you're, it sounds like you're taking the lazy man's approach, but good for you. You know, that's <laughs> that's what you want to do and let society destroy itself. <laughs> let society figure it out. You know, well you're Jack Black. What do you care? You have another movie coming out. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to move on to yeah. another one? Okay, here we go. Jared writes, hello Brainiacs, you attribute the internet to a rise in anti-scientific beliefs. Or do you think it has just exposed a percentage of people that have always felt this way? Ooh. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, in, I, uh, first of all, I don't blame only the internet, right? Fox News is not a product of, of the internet. The, the Marjorie Taylor Greene calling people like me medical brown shirts is not an internet. Um, Jim Jordan weaponizing health and science communication. So it, and, and so people, you know, quickly want to jump you know, uh, on on Twitter or X, and blame Elon Musk, and and sure, he's not helping, but that's only one piece of this. The ecosystem is uh, much broader than than simply the social media and, and the internet, and that's what makes it so daunting. Is that it is pervasive now, and and uh, impact it affects every aspect of society. Anti science is its own. Uh, is its own empire, its own ecosystem. And even though it started in the United States, I think, and I make the case that it started in Texas, it's now we're seeing it move up into Canada with the freedom with the freedom convoys. It's in Central Europe. And now you're starting to see it contaminate 
low and middle income countries in places that we haven't seen it. Yeah. So I would say while the internet didn't create it, the internet can magnify what's out there. And, but also, and there was a day where you'd have a crazy idea and you were pretty sure you were correct, but you were alone. And now you'd search on that crazy idea. And every other person in the world, that crazy idea shows up and you get, get on their chat group and you, and this validates your ideas when yeah, you have you know, the, it changes the way, you know, our communities have changed. I, Neil, my dad's from the Bronx also, went to DeWitt Clinton High School. and uh, <laughs> Yes, across the park from the Bronx High School of Science. Yeah, yeah. They, they'd always beat up our, my, our people for their lunch money, right. just so you know. <laughs> Not me, but others and, got their and, lunch and money taken. Did City College, the whole New York thing. and But, you know, back then, you know, you, you went to service clubs at night. You went to Kiwanis Club or, or Rotary or you Knights went to Columbus, Club. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know... Um, and 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 if somebody had a nutty idea, he had three friends sitting around drinking coffee or having a beer, saying, "This guy, you're, what are you talking about? That makes no." But you don't have that immediate feedback anymore, so we're not we don't go bowling together. Anymore. We had a guy like that in our neighborhood. We called him Crazy Jack, and he had these theories. And it was the only guy, and he just walked around the neighborhood, and he would like pontificate, and, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's and just and Crazy now Jack." Crazy Jack's on the internet. And, you know, and, find, yeah. find, <laughs> He's found 23,000 friends. Right. <laughs> Crazy Jack is now a social media influencer with a deal, <laughs> with a six-figure deal with Armani. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> so I have the official website for Shot in the Arm. It's shotinthearmmovie.com, and you can learn all about it. And uh, like I said, our esteemed guest today is, is importantly featured in that film with regard to his lifetime work on vaccines, as well as um, opening up his own family situation with regard to your daughter, Rachel. And uh, you said something very important there, Peter, that I I don't think can be overemphasized. Could you comment for us the way you did in Shaun of the Arm, the movie, um, how your concern where people have demonized autism, where autism is sort of has is a natural part of people's existence and they become pariahs because of what others have said and done about it. Could you just encapsulate that way better than I just did for me? Yeah, I mean it's it's the way the anti-vaccine groups frame people um, uh, with autism um, as though you're exactly right, as though they're lepers in the community that you know, we need to be extricated. And, and you know, it's extremely offensive, particularly those who are um, helping to educate people on this concept of uh, neurodiversity and, you know, people who have, you know, very productive and interesting lives. And even though they don't always think, think and speak the same way um, that, that we do and, and so that's, that's extremely hurtful as, as, as well. And, um, uh, and this kind of gets back to some very twisted ideas that come out of the health and wellness industry and um, uh, about what health and wellness is all about. It's a very uh, restricted paradigm that, um, unfortunately, is, doesn't help anybody. Mm. All right. Thanks for mentioning that. Paul, we have time for one or two more questions. What do you sure. have? Sure. Here we go. Um, Jason uh, Dorkson. Uh, are you ever tempted to just give up explaining science to people who just don't want to hear it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of become... Well, let's we ask that. Peter, what would it take to have you give up? <laughs> <laughs> what, would, what would it take for you to open a lemonade stand and just say you're done with all of it? <laughs> well, they tried to create this fund for me to so-called debate Robert F. Kennedy Jr., which I refused to do. Um, so uh, they, uh, you know, the I don't know what the final dollar amount got to be. What are you hiding? What are you afraid of? Right. You're afraid of him, right? It's just you know. Well, we can have a whole discussion about that. But but the point is, I, I even though it gets scary at times, especially when you have to have a, a the Houston Police Department parked out in front of your house, you know, guard, guarding the house, and you have to have the FBI called in because of threats. It's it's not fun. But on the other hand, I do find it meaningful. And and I think the threat to the our system of vaccines and vaccinations, both in the US and globally, is so 
profound that now calling myself a vaccine scientist, yes, it's great. I'm making vaccines for the world, COVID and hookworm vaccines, et cetera. But now part of the deal is you have to defend vaccines. And even though it's it's unpleasant at times, it's it, I do find it meaningful. And, and, and during the day, you know, talking to amazing people like you, it's, you know, you're in the mix, you're feeling great. It's, although at night it gets, you start waking up in the middle of the night, it does get pretty scary, you know, with, with all of the, with all of the online and in-person stock, online threats and in-person stockings. Hey, there's always having a tire business where you just clean up tires in, in different lots and you just do that. And, 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 that, and I promise you, it'll do a lot of good. Too. Exactly. It'll, it'll there's some value. I have a paper that just came out in the New England Journal of Medicine about yellow fever returning to Texas and the Gulf Coast. Uh, so it's a feel-good story. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> well, one more question. Time yeah, for one more. Tassos Suris, uh, a Greek here, he says, uh, uh, can each of you tell which anti-science movement is most shocking to you regarding how far from the truth and atrocious it is? A great candidate for me is the Flat Earth Movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Flat, flat Earth is a good one. Um, I, I would say the, um, the anti-vaccine conspiracies are perhaps the most damaging because there it's depriving people of essential public health interventions. And so that's, so when the weaponization actually affects human life, that to me is when it becomes more than just a curiosity and and actually dangerous. And again, it's not only targeting the science, it's targeting the scientists portraying us as public enemies or enemies of the state. I mean, this is what Stalin did in the 1930s, right? To uh, you know, he replaced the Mendelian geneticist Vavilov with Lysenko, uh, and destroyed the Russian wheat crop, and millions died. And and this is what's happening again. And for it to happen in the United States, just to be clear, States, so Lysenko, for those who who missed that chapter in their world history, um, Lysenko had a discredited understanding of genetics, but that that discredited understanding matched the political philosophies of the leaders. And so it was cherry-picked for that reason, not for whether or not it was true. And it had disastrous consequences on the on the on the um, the crops and the populations that it could support at the time. A million I think millions died, is That's that right? right? That's right. So and yeah. and it's happening again and and I worry that it's affecting our whole scientific infrastructure. As I, as I sometimes say, you know, we're a nation of great research universities and institutions. Neil, you, you studied at Harvard and Columbia. I started studied at Yale and Cornell and, and Rockefeller. And, and this, is, this built our nation. We're a nation of research institutions and universities. It gave us the Manhattan Project and it gave us Silicon Valley and, and, and NASA. And and by trying to tear it down, I think it makes us much weaker as a country. And so I do worry at the long-term consequences. You have a really great term for this from your podcast. It's called the upside-down world of authoritarianism. But those, yeah, trying to save our, so. those trying to save our lives become uh, the ones you're supposed to eliminate. And uh, it goes back in history, as you point out. You do a great job in the book of sort of tracing it back. Thank you. you. Know, there's a lot Thank of that you. I did not realize, but you see it. Which scared me because it's three hundred years. It is doesn't. I don't think it ever goes away, right? This just this through line continues, and it's always a fight. It's always going to be this fight. Well, and, and this is why you know Paul and Neil, what you're doing is so important, right? I mean, anything that gets people interested in science and helps people understand science. Um, this is there's. There's never been a more important time for what you're doing. I think it's more of what I'm doing, not so much what he does, <laughs> but more. Yeah. yeah, Paul is by far uh, way oh, more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. I had to look up so many words because of this interview. I got a headache. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Doc. No. Well, let me try to leave this on a positive note rather than the helpless note that, that, that has drenched us throughout this conversation. Um, we we were, spoke just a moment ago about how exasperating it can be. When I when I hit that wall, I think to myself, the lines from this, the musical, the Broadway musical, Man of La Mancha, there's a song in there 
that we all know and we've heard it, but I don't know how much you've carefully listened to the words. The, the title of the song is To Dream the Impossible Dream. A- and we all know the song. Well, where does it come from? Well, Don Quixote, man of La Mancha, Don Quixote is from La Mancha, and he's tilting at windmills, right? He wants to have this jousting contest with a windmill, which doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you do that? And if you did do it, why do you think you would win, right? So it's the weird quest to accomplish something that's not only not realistic, but probably impossible. To dream the impossible dream. If you look at the lines of that, they're... I reference those lines when I wake up in the morning when I otherwise would feel hopeless. And my favorite one is to march into hell with a heavenly cause. And I say, that's what we got to do. (laughs) And I just want to say for everybody watching, I think we're all concerned that he was actually going to start singing. And that was going to be, wow. That would have been a terrible way to end this. When I feel hopeless, by the way, I think of the lyrics from SpongeBob SquarePants song. That just gets me focused and ready to go. Anyway. Wait, no, his one is uh, is on a beautiful day, right? He's got a really good one. He does, actually, yeah. Uh, what's it called? Uh, um, I can't remember. It's a beautiful day? No, but, no. But, 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 Neil, I think, you know, and Paul, you bring up good points in the sense that not so much SpongeBob, which is what <laughs> I like SpongeBob. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but... But the idea is that one of the reasons that we became scientists, right, is we wanted to do big things, right? We wanted to make the world a better place. And and even though most scientists don't speak about humanity and humanitarian goals, I think that's true for most scientists, even though if they don't articulate that. And and we have to get people to remember this. And the other reason why what you do is so important is being able to see a face to the scientists and and I think, you know, part of that has been the problem of our profession. We're so inward looking. We're so focused, you know, in my case, on our grants and papers and lab meetings that we don't think about public engagement as being important. And so we've become invisible to the American people. And, and that's created a vacuum. And in this vacuum, you have all these anti-science movements that, that want to tell the American people what we're all about, which is nothing even close to reality. Mm. Whoa, there it is right there. Peter, your books, we're going to be looking for them. Apparently, Paul has already read them all, but <laughs> it's... I'll, uh, got, I'll explain well, them to you, Neil, later. Yeah. <laughs> forgotten people, forgotten diseases, the neglected tropical diseases and their impact on global health and development. you got vaccines did not cause Rachel's autism, your daughter. And more recently, The Deadly Rise of Anti-Science, A Scientist's Warning. Peter Hotez, it's been a delight to host you for this. I'd seen you for so many clips on Shot in the Arm movie. A delight to actually speak to you in person. So thanks for being on Star Talk. Thanks, Neil. I've admired your work for years. It's a th- thrill for me to be able to be on this podcast. With you. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Paul, always good to have you, man. Always fun and uh, great to meet you. Real and the name of your doctor. podcast, Paul, is it's I'm Not in, Paul or something? What is it? A, I, I'm Not Neil. Oh, no. <laughs> it's uh, Inside Out with Paul Mercurio. You're on it. Um, uh, Paul McCartney, uh, uh, Kevin Costner, a whole bunch of really fun interviews. And uh, yeah, yeah, we I, I like to talk to people about their process. And maybe someday i get you on, doctor. It would be great to talk to you. But um, um, And also, I'm going to be on tour with my Broadway show, Permission to Speak, uh, and my stand-up as well, so people can go to paulmccurio.com and uh, and check out where I'm going to be and come out and buy a ticket. My son needs shoes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. This has been Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition, all about basically public health with our featured guest, Dr. Peter Hotez. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Visit a live archaeological dig site on the very grounds where America began. Or walk the fields where our country was won. Live like a colonial by day or track 18th century ghosts by night. 
For all the history to be found here, there's plenty more to make for yourself. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.